You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. Welcome to our Siena and Cyprus and downtown campuses and also to our digital family and radio ministry that's happening. We're so glad that everybody's joined us here at The Loop as well, which is awesome. So if you got your Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to jump into a passage of Scripture that's a little bit of a challenging passage of Scripture. We love going through books of the Bible, and so we're a church that doesn't skip the hard stuff and skip the difficult stuff. So what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the roles of men and women in the church here in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, I've been studying for this. I've been getting ready for this. I'm excited about this. We're going to learn some great things about this. We're going to see God's beautiful design. Now, just by way of my sabbatical, I was reading books and preparing for this message, and Kelly was reading a book, and I thought, I need to read that book. And so I began to read this book called Let Me Be a Woman, is what it was. It's very interesting if I was sitting by the pool and someone said, well, hi, Pastor Greg, what are you reading? I'm reading Let Me Be a Woman. That's what I'm reading. Very interesting, but it's got some great stuff in it, which is good, and I'll give you a quote with it later, but there's things that we've got to understand that men don't understand about women and women don't understand about men. We're different been said men are from Venus and women are from Mars or Mars is men, Venus is women, whatever it is. But here's what I want to submit to you. God created male and female in heaven and then allowed us to live that out here on earth. And it's a wonderful, grateful thing that we have. And so we're going to look and we're going to see some yeses on being a godly woman, some noes on being a godly woman, some yeses on being a godly man, some noes on being a godly man, but realizing that we are different. Let me give you a few little differences between men and women if you didn't already know. Men have thicker skin by 25%. Did you know that? 25% thicker skin. Doesn't mean you can't hurt our feelings. You still can, but 25% thicker skin physically. Male and female brains are structured differently. How they process information and interact with chemicals, they're different. Now, can I just get an amen from the married people in the room that men and women process things differently? One, two, three. All right, all campuses jumping in. Great stuff. Men are less sensitive to cold temperatures. I think that's true. I think that's true. Men are less likely to seek regular medical checkups, and when we do, we're more likely to lie about our symptoms. Yes, that's true. Stanford Medical Journal puts it like this. It says that boys and girls from nine months to 17 months don't really know that they're boys and girls at this point. They play with softer toys if they're girls and toys with wheels if they're guys. And so there's a difference even that we see there. Women excel in uh, several measures of verbal ability. Oh yeah, we believe that. More adept at retrieving information from long-term memory. That's true too. Men on average can juggle items in their working uh, memory. They can juggle more items at one time. And they have superior visuospatial skills. So our abilities to see things and watch things roll and move, that sort of thing. Now here's a funny one. Navigation studies show in both humans and rats, okay, just in case you're wondering, this is Stanford Medical Journal, humans and rats, that females tend to rely on landmarks while men typically rely on dead reckoning of how far something is from where they are. So with my wife, you say, you go down here, when you get to Walgreens, make a right. And then with a guy, you say, a couple miles down and then turn right. You'll find it down there. 
And so there's a different way that we do that. Women are better at differentiating colors than men are. We see blue, red, pink, that's about all we get. You will never hear a man describe his shirt as periwinkle. It'll never happen. It'll never be fuchsia. It'll never be salmon. That's something you eat. It'll never be coral. That's something you swim around. It's, but ladies, y'all can see colors in all different ways. We're different. And that's wonderful. And that's great. And that's amazing. It's awesome to be able to see those differences. God's created us like that. And it's important that we understand that for this reason, that the world is trying to make us all the same. That's what it's trying to do. Now, there's equality in God's eyes between men and women. That's, let's just settle that right now. You are just as equal as a man or a woman in the creation of God and the love of God and the plan of God and the will of God and the desire of God. Men and women are created equal. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, you're neither Jew or Gentile. You're neither male or female. It's not talking about roles of males and females. It's talking about the value for salvation. Galatians is a book about salvation through faith in Christ. And so it's saying whether you're male or female, you come to Jesus. There's no problem with that. So we're equal in the eyes of God. But God has made us different. We're going to see that here with what Paul brings out. It's not about who makes the most money. It's not about who cooks or cleans. It's not about who has the remote control or who cares for the kids. It's about God's beautiful design. So here's where we got to start, church. Cypress, Siena, downtown, listen up as well, digital family. We've got to start with God's beautiful design to go into the scripture. If we start with our personal experience, we're not going to be on the right track. Well, my husband never. Well, my wife always. Well, my mom, well, my dad, this person, that person, we can't start there. We can't start with the worst case scenario. Well, I'll tell you what, all men are and all women are. We can't start there. We've got to start with God's beautiful biblical design that God and his wisdom made male and female and made you one or the other because the world wants to make us the same, wants us to be the same, not equal. That's not really the battle anymore. It's to be the same. So here's what it looks like. Well, a mom and a dad is just as good as two dads, just as good as two moms. There is a now a, a thought of interchangeableness that you could just trade out a man for a woman. Doesn't really matter. We would say biblically that there's an interconnectedness that the two are necessary and connected. I've worn a shirt, a pink and blue plaid, so you could see it the entire time I'm preaching that we need this interconnectedness together. That's how God has done it, not interchangeable. You don't want to see an Instagram picture of your daughter's engagement and she's on one knee asking him. You don't want your son to farkle at 2 a.m. to say, okay, rock, paper, scissor on who's going to change the tire with his wife. There's not an interchangeableness, there's an interconnectedness. And Paul's going to bring that out and he's going to show that here because we're in a place where our society is pushing sameness, not equality. Sameness. Equality we've already settled in the eyes of God. 
But sameness is a different thing. So how does God wire this? What's he going to say through Paul? Now, here we go. In verse 8, he's going to start with guys. It's usually ladies first, but it's men first here, okay? He's going to lead out with talking to the men. He's going to give us some yeses. He's going to give us some no's here, men. Now, remember that Paul is speaking to Timothy, and Timothy is the pastor of the church of Ephesus. Here's where we go in verse 8. Therefore, because of all the things we did last week about the importance of prayer, I want men, and this is not mankind, the Greek word for mankind, it's males, I want the males in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands. Say with me those two words, one, two, three, holy hands, without anger or argument. So here we go. The first thing is this, a yes, if you're taking notes in your listening guide, a yes for godly men of prayer, character, and calm. A yes for godly men of prayer, character, and calm. So he leads out, he says, guys, I want you to be the first ones to pray. I want you to be the leaders of prayer in the church. I mean, that's a tall order because typically the women are the better prayer warriors in the church, that the men are to be the prayer warriors in the church. Men and women alike, of course, but men, we want you to lead out in prayer. We want your prayers to be authentic. We want them to be sincere. We want you to have a heart that is like, I want to pray to God and my leadership is going to begin in prayer. Your leadership as a husband begins in prayer. Your leadership as a father begins in prayer. Your leadership as a Christian man begins in prayer. That's where it begins. And prayer is hard for us at times, but we need to be men of prayer. And so he says, I want you to lead. See, here's what Paul's saying, and I don't want you to miss this. One author put it like this, one of the books I read, great, great sentence. Here's what he said. Paul is not asking women to sit down in this passage. He's asking for men to stand up. So the problem in the church is not we're asking women to sit down. The problem is let's lift up and men, let's stand up. And he begins by saying, I want you to stand up in prayer. I want you to stand up in prayer. And he says, with holy hands, with holy hands not perverted hands, not abusive hands, not selfish hands, with holy hands. I want you men, we'll never be perfect, but we can seek to have holy hands. I want you to walk out this calling that I put on your life, this uh, aspect of being a man, and I want you to be a leader in prayer. Ladies, just in the quietness of your heart, just would you follow a man that's leading in prayer with holy hands before God? Yes, hope that you would. Now here, let me give you men just a tip. How do we lead well in the church? How do we lead well in our homes? How do we lead well in our families? It's by this one word. I heard an author say, or a a pastor say this. It's by this one word. Here it is. It's kind of, it's two words together, but let, let me just say one word. Let's. That's the key to leadership. Let's. Here's what I mean by that. Say to your wife, let's pray. Let's go on a vacation. Let's go out to eat. Let's sit down and talk. Let's go on a walk together. Not you should, I will, you do this, I'm gonna do that, let's stay separate. No, let's be together and let's walk this out. My leadership here with the church is I'm able to say, let's do this. Here's the vision I think God has for us. Let's make this difference. Let's build this building. Let's launch this campus. Let's take this step. Let's pray. Let's do these things. And when I say let's, the church goes, yeah. We sense the Lord in that. Let's walk that out. So men, it's not you should, it's let's. Now, let me just say this. Any man making a large decision without listening to his wife and including his wife, it's this weird, interesting Greek word. Dummy is what it is, okay? 
She has discernment. She has wisdom. She has insight that we don't have because we're different. We see things differently. So we need to say, let's talk about this. And if a huge decision is being made and y'all are not in an agreement, then you need to talk about it further. You need to be able to talk with somebody else. And there may become a point that there's just a decision that's got to be made, but it's got to be made as a team. We call ourselves, as you know, our family Team Mott. That's what we call ourselves. My last name, Team Mott. We're a team. I'm the leader of the team. That's good. That's a responsibility. That's a weight. But I want to be able to build the team and let's walk together as a team. So men, prayer, character, and calm. The first thing we do is we lead in prayer. Men, pray with your wife and your family, not just for your wife and family. And use the word let's. And when he starts using the word let's this, this week, the ladies just, just smile and say, sure, that'd be great. To be able to allow that to happen. Now, here's the no for godly men. The no for godly men is anger and argument. The no for godly men is anger and argument. Therefore, I want men in every place to lift up holy hands, Without anger and without argument, the no is anger and argument. Men, can I just talk to us for a second? There are so many things to be mad about. So many things to be mad about. You can be mad at your employees. You can be mad at your employer. You can be mad at, you know, prices of stuff. You can be mad um, at, at traffic. You can be mad at your favorite sports team because they didn't pull through like you wanted it to. You can be mad about this, that, and the other. Mad about your family. Mad about your friends. Mad about your workplace. There are so many things to be mad about. And it doesn't do us a bit of good, does it? It says in James chapter 1, verse 20, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So men, angry men, We've got to take it to the Lord or we're going to take it out on our loved ones. Let me just get real us together. Cypress, Siena, downtown, everybody come close. It is scary to live in a home of an angry man. Any of you have angry fathers, angry husbands, angry brothers? and you walk on eggshells, and it's just scary. Scary for the kids, scary for the mom, scary for the wife. It's scary to live with an angry man. Now, women, research shows that we all have the same emotion of anger, but men have a different expression of anger. You see that? So we can come and launch a bit more into our anger, and that makes it a bit scary. Men's anger turns to men's arguments because now we're trying to prove our way. And living with an angry and argumentative man, the the Lord says here, and he's talking about in the church, not just in the home, uh, without anger and without argument is what Paul says here. So we have to be careful. A tough day at work doesn't turn to an argument at home. You remember the Christmas classic of It's a Wonderful Life? There's a moment where George Bailey comes home and he's furious and he's crashing things in the living room. And what does the mom do? The mom stands in front of the kids and says, why must you torture the children? It's scary in that moment for the kids and for the mom. Here's the the thing I wanna tell you as we put this together of what Paul's trying to say here. In the church, write this down in your notes. In the church, an angry and argumentative man is a distraction to the mission. In the home, he's a destroyer of hearts and lives. In the church, he's a distraction to the mission. It happens. People get upset about things at church. I've seen it. I'll see it again. It's a distraction to the mission. We still get the mission done. We still get what's going to happen. You just got to spend a bunch of time getting everybody calmed down. 
It's a distraction to the mission in the church, and that's what Paul's speaking about specifically here, but it's a destroyer to lives and hearts when it's a time in that place with the men and the family of what's taking place in that. Have you lived with somebody angry before? Boy, if you have, I hope that you'll realize the fear that can happen there. And men, just to say, just as we're saying through these things and walking through these things, here's what'll happen. In the home, if you wound her heart enough, she will pull back from you. Now, mama will never pull back from the kids. She'll always stay connected to the kids. She'll go to their games. They can break her heart, but she will be at every one of their games. You break her heart enough and she'll begin to harden herself to you and pull back. And so maybe even just the let's is, we need to have a talk. Let's talk about my anger. Let's talk about where we've been. Let's talk about these things. So that's what's going for the guys there. The guys, we've got to be leaders in prayer. We're leading with let's. We're not leading with force. We're leading with holy hands. We're not leading with forceful hands. We're not leading with a fist. We're not leading in some kind of negative way in that way. We're leading with a godly, God-given, prayerful response Ladies, for you to be able to follow a man on his knees should be an easier task than to follow a man that's got anger in his heart. And so here he is, and he's saying these things. Now we're going to get to the place of the church here with the ladies. So we've been talking a little bit about the home, a little bit about the church, get a little bit about your marriage here in this message, even though it's not a real marriage message, but we're moving through. But here we're going to change gears to the ladies in the church. Now, let me first of all brag on the ladies in our church. We have amazing women in our church. We have for decades, before me, after me, during me being the pastor, amazing, godly, prayer warrior, loving Jesus, worshipful. Where would we be without the ladies in this church? I'm telling you. Now, that's uh, absolutely true. At every single campus, we joke, in my office, do you want to speak to the man in charge or the woman who knows what's going on, okay, which is my assistant? So it's, we need everybody, it, all different, everywhere we've got. And I'll give you some statistics in a little bit about how God's using ladies in our church. So here we go. Ladies, we're going to jump in in verse 9. Healthy, godly, mature, servant-hearted difference makers is what we've got all over our church. But we're going to jump into some challenging passages. So here we go. Verse 9. Also the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works as is proper for the women who profess to worship God. Okay, here's our yes, ladies. And not our yes, your yes, I guess. But let me be a woman. Maybe I'm included in this here. I don't know. The yes for godly women is choose good works over a glittery wardrobe. Okay? Now, I want you to hear, before we even jump into this point, this isn't going to be a bunch of rules. This is about the heart, is what this is. Now, let me give you the context of what's taking place. This is in Ephesus, ancient city of Ephesus. It had the temple of Diana, which was one of the seven wonders of the world, lots of pillars. We'll hear later on, Paul talk about the church being the pillar of society and the pillar of truth. He's pointing back to the pillars that are around the Diana temple. There was many temple prostitutes at Diana's temple. She was the goddess of fertility, Okay, so I showed you a picture of her a few, few, a little idol, a few messages back. So she was a goddess of fertility. And so they had temple prostitutes. You can see fertility and that going along together that were surrounding the temple. 
And there was also a lot of wealthy women that were in Ephesus as well. So there's two groups that Paul is speaking uh, specifically in the church. He said, number one, I don't want you godly women to look like the prostitutes, okay? I don't want you to be dressing for attention getting when you come to worship. See it? And secondly, I don't want you to dress like these wealthy women that are coming in and they're trying to show off. I don't want you to dress for attention getting, and I don't want you to dress for identity creating, okay? So we can take those two things and put them all, we can take that into where we are today. We shouldn't dress male or female to walk in as attention getting. I want everybody to know I'm here. We don't want to walk in and have such wealth dripping off of us that that dripping of wealth makes people go, man, maybe I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't even be here. These wealthy women were coming in the church and they're making the poor women feel like they didn't belong in the house of God. Now that's not good, right? You see that? So gold, when it talks about gold here, that's real pure gold 2,000 years ago. When it talks about pearls, it's talking about a diver going into the Indian Ocean or the Persian Gulf and swimming down to the bottom and getting out an oyster and bringing it up to the top and popping it open. Not talking about going to Claire's Boutique in the mall, okay? This is some real stuff that's happening right here. And so their hair had tortoise shells in the braids they would use, gold woven into the braids. And they walked in and it was like boom, 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 Okay. And the other ladies, that most ladies in this time would have two dresses in their lifetime. And these ladies would come through in these flowing gowns and the ladies would feel like, no, the gospel's not for me. Jesus is not for me. Do you see it? So you got one lifting up selfishly and one pushing down. So ladies, I would say this to you. Don't dress competitively. Don't dress insecurely. Dress appropriately for the situation and setting. Now, the first word, when it says modest there, it's the word, the root word of that Greek word is the word cosmo, where we get cosmetics from. We also get cosmos of God, right? The creation of God. It means this, everything is perfectly set in its place. Isn't that what you're trying to do anyway, ladies? Everything's perfectly set in its place. The earrings, the this, the that. Not, I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna be on display when I come to the house of the Lord. You see it? Now, there's a hotel just off a few blocks from the White House. It's called the Willard Hotel. It's an old, famous hotel. I could tell you history and history and history about the hotel. Battle Hymn of the Republic was written in the hotel. I mean, that's how kind of history it is. There's this one long hallway right through the middle, and they literally have on the top, it's called Peacock Alley. Because the ladies in the early 1900s in those big hoop dresses would come like peacocks walking through that alley to just show off. So they just named it Peacock Alley. The church is not to be Peacock Alley, is it? to be a place where everybody feels comfortable, where they can come as young and as old, and they can come, whether they're rich or they're poor, and feel that they're comfortable in the place that the gospel can minister to their heart. Now, ladies, let's, let's have a little, little fun here for just a second. It doesn't mean you can't have nice hair. It's great. I know how your hairstylists are. Your hairstylist is one of the most important people in your life. You will hate moving to a different city because you're going to lose that hairstylist. There's a lady in our Siena campus watching right now. She drives from the Siena campus to North Houston for her hairstylist. There's some, I've heard drive 50 miles for their hairstylist. We think it's great. We love your pretty hair. It's awesome. But it's a difference in men and women. Let me tell you what every man's hairstylist's name is. You ready? This is every man. We have the same hairstylist. First available. (laughs) That's ours. First available. 
because we choose efficiency over beauty. That's what we choose. I told Kelly one day, I mean, you're just, I'm married now. You're lucky I didn't brush my teeth anymore. I mean, this is, this is, and I do. So let me just give you an illustration of efficiency over beauty. We were at the Texas Department of Public Safety. You know what a joy that place is, right? It's awesome. It's tremendously efficient. And so we get there and we're there for another person in our family and we're up there at the driver's license counter. And I noticed that my driver's license is going to expire in a few months. I said, hey, with my nicest, sweetest voice, I said, would you mind if you went ahead and renewed my driver's license too? Could I do that while we're here at this counter and you're so sweet and nice? Surely you would do this. And my wife, you could maybe do hers. And we would that be okay? And the lady said, sure, no problem. I said, that's awesome. She said, okay, get ready for your picture. I said, great. And I had worked out that morning. I had not showered that day. I had a hat. I had my glass. I mean, look how nice I look without a sh- with a shower. My hair's done. My shirt's right. Everything's good. And I was like, I do not care. And she said, take off your hat, take off your glasses. And this is the picture I'm stuck with for the next five to 10 years. Here we go. but I don't care. You know why? It's efficient. And I got it done. Now compare that. I'm not saying this at all. Ladies is you at all. Somebody told me about this. I Googled it. You can watch it today. Kim Kardashian brought a makeup studio and lighting to her driver's license picture. Cause it was her quote, the most important picture you will take. Cause it lasts for five years. Watch it. Google the little thing and see it. It's crazy. We love your pretty hair. You can wear nice jewelry. You can have pretty clothes. But don't do it to make somebody else feel bad. So you win the game that nobody's playing but you. Nobody's playing but you. The gospel's more important. Let the real you shine. He says, I want you to let the good works in your life come forward. The good blessings that you have to come forward in your life. Let that be what shines says in Proverbs, it's a, it's a graphic verse, but it's, it's an interesting verse. It says, a woman who lacks discretion is like a, pit, like a gold ring in a pig's snout. So you can be gorgeous on the outside, but be missing it on the inside. And that's why he gets to the next verse of what happens here. In verse 11, a woman is to learn with full submission. I do not allow a, a, a woman to teach over, or excuse me, I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. Now, what's he saying? We're going to unpack it's two different things. The yes is for godly women to have a teachable spirit. For godly women to have a teachable spirit. So imagine these ladies coming in, either looking like wealthy competition ladies or looking like prostitutes, walking into the church, attention getting or identity creating making all the other ladies feel bad that they only got two dresses their whole life and this is the fashion show of the week. And so they come in. He says, look, I want you ladies to have a teachable spirit. And when we come into church and we think it's about us, we've negated a teachable spirit. And I hope men and women in our church, this is not just for the ladies, though Paul's saying it towards the ladies, that we would all come in with a teachable spirit. Do we expect God to move? Do we have a teachable spirit? It's not called the silence that ladies, some, of, some ladies read this, they're like, well, but I got a vivacious personality, but I like to talk, but I'm the life of the party. Amen, God created you like that. That's amazing. But there's always a time for every one of us, male or female, we've got to be able to sit back and say, I wanna receive now. It's time for me to be quiet. It's time for me to receive. It's not me, it's me receiving from the Lord. 
We try to create in our worship services non-distracting environments for this very reason. At all of our campuses, we don't want you jumping up in the, in the message and walking around because everybody watches you walk out and watches you walk in. And so we have to have a teachable spirit and a, a calmness to us that says, I'm ready to learn. My Bible is open. My notes are being taken. My heart is ready. Give me a strong word, pastor. Give me an easy word. Give me a word of encouragement. Give me a word of challenge. But I know right now it's not about my dress. It's not about me. I want to have a teachable spirit. And that was not happening in the church of Ephesus. And Paul said, ladies, I want you to listen to what's taking place. And they're coming in and saying, hey, look, we got the temple of Diana. She's the goddess. I mean, maybe Jesus, maybe not. He says, no, it's a different spirit here. We honor the Lord. We're submissive to God. We believe the Holy Spirit is here. So again, Paul's point is not the overarching point. Women sit down. The point is men stand up. And women stand up with a teachable spirit to be able to receive and to hear from the Lord. All right, one more no, and then we got one more yes for you ladies, okay? Y'all hang with me, here we go. The no that we're gonna get to, this is a controversial one. This is a challenging one, but we're a church that doesn't shy away from tough scriptures. We're gonna walk through it, we're gonna get through it, we're gonna begin with God's biblical design is where we're beginning right? Not well, my husband or my wife or this worst case scenario or all men or all women. We're going to start with this place here and we're going to say God's biblical design. How does this work in the church? Now, let me tell you, Paul's going to forbid something here, okay? And here's the question we're going to have to ask. Is he forbidding everything? Is he forbidding nothing? Or is he forbidding something, okay? Is it nothing? Is it everything? Is it something? And here's what we're going to see in just this moment here. We're going to ask this question, what is happening here? Are we interconnected or are we interchangeable? And so Paul's going to take us through this. Now, let me tell you, I'll just give you the verse, and then I'm going to tell you who should be offended by this verse. You ready? So here we go. Verse 12. I do not allow. Okay, let's, let's pause. It's not going to allow. Something's going to be on the other side of that, right? Okay, so what's it going to be? Let's look and see. I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. Okay, now let's take this here. Is it nothing? Paul really didn't mean this. This was only for Ephesus. Well, he's going to illustrate it with Genesis, not Ephesus, which is a foundational scripture of our entire faith, right? Not just an application of Ephesus. So is it nothing? You see, this just, we, I, I don't allow, and no, let's just skip to the next verse. Is it everything that, ladies, you can't teach anywhere, have any authority anywhere, and see, just go be with the kids? That's all you can do. Or is it something? Now, here's what I want you to know. You're in a church that believes it's something. It's not nothing. It's not everything. It's something. So what is that something? Here's what that something is. That something is that, here's your blank, a no for godly women and pastoral teaching and authority it's reserved for a biblically qualified man. Now, next week, we're going to look in 1 Timothy 3 and see what is a biblically qualified man. So what's he saying here? He's saying in our understanding, in our church, here's what he's saying, that the pastoral teaching and authority is reserved for a biblically qualified man. So that means this. Here's who should be offended. 
If you ladies, if you're a lady in this room or in any of our campuses or listening, if you are hoping that I leave the church soon so you can submit your resume to be the senior pastor of our church, you should be offended right now. Now, in 20 years, I've never had a lady ever want my job. Now, truthfully, most men don't want my job either, okay? <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. Like, I don't want to stand up there and talk about all this stuff all the time. <laughs> I mean, but... I love it. It's great. It's my calling, Sarah. So what this is saying is here in this place that there is a biblical qualification that there would be a godly man, I want to fulfill that, that would be in the role of the senior pastor of the church. Now, let's ask this quick question. Why can a woman be the president of the bank, president of the United States, president of, of, uh, you know, a corporation and not pastor the church? Well, because they're two different, completely organizations. Our goal is not profit. Our goal is not to please shareholders. Our goal is to please the Lord. Here's what I wrote down because I wanted to get the words clear. It's important to recognize that church is different than business, a political entity, or a secular organization. A female business leader or, or president would be different, is different than a female pastor. Oftentimes, we take the world's views and we bring them into the church. But here's what we have to realize. The purpose and symbolism of the church is the family of God, which is different than a corporation. So you don't look to a corporation and say, huh, I wonder how Home Depot can help me with my family and my marriage. But you can look to the church leadership and say, how does that look in the home? Because the home and the church, the family of God and the family on planet earth being able to come together. So we can see that modeled in that it would seem weird if those were discongruent, incongruent. So the symbolism is different. The church is a spiritual body following the Bible as our guide, beholden to the faithfulness of God's word, to his mission to share the gospel and disciple believers. The church is not seeking financial profit, desiring to please shareholders, selling a product or a service. We are the bride of Christ. The church is different, separate in creation and function than any other entity. And our church adheres to the biblical model, we'll see in just a second, of creation. Now, that's an amazing thought, that God has given us the ability as a church to shine what it would look like in the home, in the family, and to be able to have that. Now, let me say this. Does that mean that women do not have a place in our church? Absolutely not. I began this whole section with bragging on the ladies in our church. Do you know that 53% of our full-time staff at our church is women? 34% of our female staff are in supervisory positions. 10% of our female staff own ma- hold master's degrees. Women's staff members oversee multiple millions of dollars in our church budget. Multiple millions of dollars. Over 15% of our uh, Life Bible Study teachers and directors are women. We have women serving on every committee in every ministry at every campus of our entire church. So it is totally celebrated, totally lifted up. In our worship services, we have women that are part of our worship services at every juncture of the worship service to be able to have that. But in our understanding of the scripture, the something is that the senior pastor, the elder, the bishop, the presbyter, that's all the words of Greek in chapter three, the pastor would be reserved for a biblically qualified man, not just a man, biblically qualified man. We'll see that next week. So here's how it would take place in our church. Here's how it has taken place for 180 plus years. A group of men, a congregation of men and women 
would vote to elect a pastor search committee of men and women that would seek to find a man, a godly, biblically qualified man, who would then be voted upon by the group of men and women as the pastor search committee to then be brought to the church of a congregation of men and women to be voted on to be the senior pastor. Do you see it? There's no like bunch of guys get in the back room to decide what's up. It's all the way through. But Paul's forbidding something. What is the something that's there? Okay. Now, why? Two things of why this seems to be a problem for us. Not us as a church, but just in our world. Number one, we equate leadership with status and competence. Okay. Christian leadership is different. It's not about status. Christian leadership is not about status. Christian leadership is about service. Do you hear it? I mean, you got to get that in your mind. Because if you get in your mind, it's about status. And why you're saying Christian leadership is not about status. It's about service. It's not about competence. There's, There's ladies that could preach me under the table. It's not about competence. It's about creation of how God will see in just a second. And Genesis has put that together. And so that's what Christian leadership is about. And that makes the church different. And the church, that women were a part of the early church and the women are a part of the church today. So why do we fight about this in today's world? Well, here's the reason that we end up fighting about this in today's world, because culture is so into the church, okay? Let me give you a little American history. We're gonna wrap up, give me about five more minutes. What's our culture? Our culture is an interchangeable, not interconnected culture. And so now there's an interchangeable. And what's happened in American history, and some of this has been good and some of this has been not so good, is there's been three waves historically of feminism, okay? The first wave was the late 1800s to about the 1920s. Some will say it goes all the way to the 1960s. Pick your date, doesn't matter. Research is different on this. And basically it was this, it was the women's suffrage movement, right? That women would be able to have the right to vote. Amen, yes. That there would be uh, the ability to have uh, the same property rights, the same education opportunities, to attend the same universities. That was the first wave of feminism. Amen, way to go, incredible. Then in the 1960s, and many of you lived through this, uh, the 1960s to the 1980s, then you had what's called the second wave, and that was equal pay for equal work, equal opportunities, equal pay for equal work. Again, wonderful. That's great. If you watched the U.S. Open last weekend, it was celebrating the 50 years of equal prize money. Well, when did that happen? 1973, which is smack dab in this wave uh, that were happening here of, of the second wave. So that's great. But at this point now, reproductive rights is going to move to the center. It's going to be about abortion and birth control, and that's going to be in the center place, okay? And you're going to have a little bit of attention because there's some ladies who say, I don't want to work outside the home. I want to be here in the home. And other ladies are like, no, that's not what I want. So there's going to be a little bit of tension. Then you end up in the 1980s till now, okay? And this is the third wave. And this is where our culture, where we are right now. The History Channel, not a biblical uh, study, not a, um, a commentary. The History Channel said this about the third wave of feminists. Embracing the spirit of rebellion instead of reform. Okay, embracing the spirit of rebellion instead of reform. And so good things were taken, you know, assaulted, like workplace harassment and sexual assault. All those things have no place in our society. They have no place in our Bible. And at this point, though, abortion becomes the primary issue, okay? It's now moved to the primary. And so we can see that even today, right? 
becomes the number one thing. Now women are not seen to be equal with men. They're seen, seen to be better than men. Men are toxic. Men are predators. Men are unnecessary. And we don't need them. All we need is the ladies here. And that's not interconnectedness. So watch, you ready? So now the most celebrated man in America is the man who says he's a woman. Because you can be interchangeable. You can be a man and you can marry a man. And you can be a man and you can marry one. It's interchangeable. You can be a man and be a woman because it's interchangeable. And so all of that comes in. And so when we say a biblically qualified man, we say, well, no, this has got to be interchangeable. And so things that have been for thousands of years of Christianity and of, of leadership are like, well, wait a minute now, I don't understand that. That's not really right and that's not really true. And so ladies, I just want you to know that the temple of Diana, the same kind of things were happening, the sameness, not equality, men and women. God has created us equal, but we're different by the plan and the glory of God. And so we embrace that and we say yes to that. So let me give you a quote from Let, there, let Me Be a Woman, okay? It's a great quote, chapter 15. Elizabeth Elliot is the author. We are called to be women. The fact that I'm a woman does not make me a different kind of Christian, but the fact that I'm a Christian makes me a different kind of woman. For I have accepted God's idea of me, and my whole life is offering back to Him all that I am and all that He wants me to be. And we could say the same thing for men. Last point, and we're racing to the finish line. Proud of you, church. We're making it through. We're getting some good stuff. Here we go. This place of submission, we all got to submit. We all got to submit. You live in America, you got to submit to the laws. And we all get to submit voluntarily. Don't marry him if you can't be led by him, ladies. Don't, don't, don't live in a country you can't abide, abide by the rules. Be able to say voluntarily, I submit. Now, here we go. Now, here he's going he's gonna to prove it in verse 13. What's he going to do? He gives us, I do not allow. Now, verse 13, is he going to go back to Ephesus and talk about the temple of Diana in a historical context? Or is he going to go foundational biblical? Verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. Doesn't mean y'all are more gullible at all. It's just how it happened in the creation story. But the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. Let me give you the last one here. Our last deal is this. Yes for godly women for lasting impact. Yes for godly women for lasting impact. Now here it is. Here's the creation story. Let me put it together quick because I'm out of time. Adam was passive and Eve was independent. And we ended up in a mess. Satan didn't go in the order to Adam. He went in non-order to Eve. And Adam was passive. And man, I want you to hear me loud and clear. I'm not saying you have to be a gifted leader. I'm not saying you got to be a big extrovert, but you and I cannot be passive. Men, stand up. Holy hands. Not literally stand up. Wait, the sermon's not over. <laughs> Holy hands in prayer, walking with God. Men, Adam was passive and silent and it wrecked his family. Stand up. 
lead. Women, she circumvented him and went around and did what was right in her own eyes. Don't do that as well. Be a team of interconnectedness. And then what will happen is we will cease fighting about these things and we'll see the blessing of these things. Ladies, last thing it says, and it's a very difficult, one of the hardest verses in, in the New Testament, and she will be saved by childbearing. What does that mean, saved? Whenever you see the word saved in the scripture, you gotta ask this question, saved from what? Okay, because it's not talking about salvation like eternal, you know, sin forgiven salvation. Saved from what? He's saying, I want you to be saved from the curse of Eve. Basically, there'd be pain in childbearing and you'd wanna have control over your husband that I want you to be saved from that by living a life that would be so amazing through biological children, sure, through spiritual children as well. He's saying this, you men and women, but ladies here in particular, you can have a lasting impact on the next generations. Let me give you a, a last illustration and we're done. The last illustration is this. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor, 1700s. His wife was Sarah. They had 11 children. He would study for 13 hours a day. And in the 1700s, she was taking care of 11 children. Ladies, can you imagine? But she gave her heart to taking care of those children. It's amazing how God has fashioned you, ladies. Interconnected with a man, literally biologically, to be able to have a baby into your womb. And you can have a baby grow inside of you. Give birth to a child and then with your body, nurse that baby. That is incredible. Absolutely incredible and the highest, the highest of jobs you could ever have. She had 13 children. She raised them in the ways of the Lord. And about 200 years later, somebody did a little bit of an investigation of where has their lineage from those 11 children gone? This is the impact of that mom. And it could be spiritual children, biological children. 13 college presidents, 65 professors, 100 lawyers, a dean of a law school, 30 judges, 66 physicians, a dean of a medical school, 80 holders of public office, including three senators, three mayors of large cities, three governors, a vice president of the United States, and a controller of the United States Treasury. That is a greater impact than if she would have been the pastor. God doing something through her. So let me give you this illustration. I thought about this this morning. This is what it looks like. As a man, we say, Lord, I'm a godly Christian man and I want to be a man of prayer. So I give you holy hands. Lord, you've given me a vocation. God, you've given me a, a spouse. God, you've given me children. God, you've given me responsibility. God, in my, in my case, God, you've made me a pastor. Oh, dear God, I could preach the word. Oh, dear Lord, that you would do your work. Holy hands in the position of leadership is on your face before God. It's service. It's waking up at two o'clock in the morning and calling out on God for the church. It's enduring angry men. It's walking with God. And ladies, it's you saying, I submit to the Lord. 
As Jesus submitted to God and the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ, submission is not a curse, it's a blessing. And God, I thank you for this man that I've chosen and more so you've chosen for me. And so I just, I just say, yes, thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, that you've given me children either spiritually or biologically. Thank you, God, that you could use me to make a difference. Thank you, Lord, that I'm going to heaven with you. Thank you, God, that I can walk with you. Oh, give me a gentle and quiet spirit. Don't let it be about my wardrobe. Let it be about my good work. Oh, God, I call out on you. Would you do something in my kids? Would you do something in my church? Would you do something in my marriage? And I get on my face before you and I call out. And you get men and women on their face before God and there's no longer a problem. There's no longer a problem. But you get men that don't have holy hands that think it's about something of status and you've got a problem. And you get women that stand up and say, you don't tell me anything about what I can do and what God created me to do. I'll do what I please. you got a problem. And you have interchangeable sin instead of interconnected submission before God. So men, let's be the men of God we're to be. Ladies, be the women of God you're to be. And let's trust God with his plan to do what he wants to do. As we all say, thank you, Lord, for how you made me. We're not the same. We are of equal value in the eyes of the Lord. And we thank you, God, for that. Father, we come in the power of the Holy Spirit. On our faces, every campus, every place, every service. We have worshiped, we have prayed. And we come, God, disagreeing with Starbucks, disagreeing with much of society because we agree with the scriptures that you created the male and female in your love and in your guidance. And may we, God, be the men and women you desire us to be. We don't need a playground fight of boys against girls, girls against boys. We need the people of God to submit to God so that the church can shine as a beacon to what the family, the home, parenting looks like for the world. We thank you. We may have some stuff to deal with in our marriages, Lord. Let us begin with simply let's talk. Let's pray together. Let's go on a walk. And we trust you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations, at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.